Welcome to LifeQuest, a program that directs you to subjects and books that will make a difference in your life. A program that will make you think and strengthen your journey of faith in the 21st century. My name is Dwight Lanehoff. Today on LifeQuest, I'm talking with Dr. Marina Hoffman, and she's a scholar, she's an award-winning writer, and today I'm talking with her about her book, Women in the Bible. It's a small group Bible study book. Marina, welcome to LifeQuest. Thank you so much, Dwight. Why this book at this time? You know, these are old stories of women in the Bible, and yet I find their relevance for today in my own life as I've gone through so many challenges and found encouragement in these women's ability to face those challenges and overcome them, even with limited options. And yet, Dwight, when I think about the situation of the world today, I think all the more how relevant their stories are in inspiring us to be people of courage, people who trust God, and people who can accomplish great things if they're simply willing to follow God's call on their life. As you began to write this book, you had to make a decision about which women in Scripture that you were going to include. Yes, the first women I did, I was so sure I wanted to do her as Hannah, and that's because of my own story of dealing with infertility, and even my little daughter, mm-hmm. who God has given me, is named Hannah, so she was special <laughs> to me. Yeah, and beyond that, I wanted to give a glimpse of women across different times period, time periods in history, not only to show the differences, but also to show how through over all these thousands of years, God threads a story of working through women's lives and rising them up as leaders for their time. I've always been fascinated by Matthew, St. Matthew's genealogy of the background of Jesus, all these grandmothers of Jesus, and there's four of them, Tamar, Ruth, uh, Rahab, uh, Bathsheba. None of them were Hebrew, in, in my understanding, and yet he included them in the genealogy. Yes, and there's so much about them. You know, none of them were great in and of themselves. Many of them were outsiders who faced limitations Mm -hmm. and who did really incredible things. And here they are in the line of Christ. So I think it's so encouraging to me to know that even if, you know, you're not a born leader and have all kinds of position and power in society, God can use you to impact literally thousands of generations beyond your own life. You begin your book with Sarah and Hagar, and often we just don't say much about Hagar, but they are both tied together. Yes, Hagar often lives in the shadows, as you say, of Abraham and Sarah. And I love her story because even though she's a minor character in Genesis, the whole chapter 16 focuses on her, and it narrows down in the middle with this play-by-play action in a full dialogue between her and the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's rare in Scripture. And what do we see from that? We see that this woman is at her most most desperate time. She is this pregnant woman on the run, alone in the wilderness, wild animals, passing caravans. Really, her situation is life and death. And God comes and speaks to her, and it's powerful because her situation doesn't seem to change. She is called back to the place where she has so many struggles with the family of Abraham and Sarah. And yet I believe, Dwight, she returns a different person because God has given her a purpose, a revelation of himself, and a plan for her life. 
So how encouraging that even as we continue to walk through struggles in life and face challenges, God is with us and has a purpose beyond maybe what we can see. And both of these women, Sarah and Hagar, they must have been praying to God. They're trying to connect with God to get a solution to what is so important in their lives. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there, about it seems as if God isn't answering at first. It's so true, and I love that you say that about Sarah. It reminds me of, you know, the call for us to have a compassionate view of Mm -hmm. people. And Sarah and Hagar are both struggling so much, really with an impossible situation. And I think my heart goes out to Sarah, because when Hagar gets pregnant, it would seem all her dreams are fulfilled. And yet we know that Hagar's child actually does not become Sarah's child. So a lot of pain and suffering in the story of Sarah. When when I was going through your book, I, I was really ruining it. I fold down the pages and I circle things and I write in the margin and all that sort of thing. In in this section uh, of Sarah and Hagar, you g- quote Hagar's declaration: "You are the God who sees me." That's really significant for us, isn't it? It is, and I think when we are facing times where there's so many forces that seem larger than life, and I know I feel that when I'm trying to stand up for my faith and my values, I'm under attack in ways that for me seem impossible. But God does see me. He sees my situation. He knows that I'm striving for the best for my family, my my church community. So many things are possible with God, and this story really encourages me to keep my faith in God. And, you know, for Sarah, despite her struggle and her lack of success in this chapter, eventually God gives her a son, and we know the story of her son, which is really a whole nation, the nation of Israel. Going on to Tamar, it's a bit of a risky story in the Old Testament, isn't it? Um, This situation that she finds herself in and how she saw a solution, it seems. Yes, who has heard a sermon on Tamar, right? No (laughs) one has. No one wants to speak on it, and that's the very reason I chose it. And I think it challenges us to really think, because it's filled with questions from my perspective much more than answers. Mm -hmm. And when we're faced with a situation we have no authority, to what end can we accomplish God's will? And Tamar uses deception and manipulation. She does things we would not instruct our young daughters to do, and yet God blesses her, Dwight. So it's a challenge to say when someone is boxed in, can God use very unexpected means to accomplish good? Very unexpected. And again, tying into the fact that here's one of these women that is very remarkable, and yet she, as you put it, is an outsider. She's a Canaanite. And yet here she actually preserves, as you put it, the tribe of Israel. Yes, and Dwight, one thing that impacts me so much about her story is that she does wait. She doesn't just go out there and immediately deceive. It seems she waits 10, maybe 20 years for things to work out. Mm -hmm. And yet, what a call to us. And I think there's a time when enough is enough. And the situation calls for us to stand up and act. And Dwight, even in my own life, I feel that for my values, a lot of them have slowly been worn away, and perhaps I've been too placent. But daily I pray now, you know, God, give me that kind of courage that these women have to say enough is enough, and I will stand up and be bold for truth and do what God calls me to do, no matter the outcome. Why did you choose these midwives? You know, 
we all know the story of Moses. Mm -hmm. What a great leader he delivers Israel in a mighty and dramatic fashion. But his story and his life and what God does through Moses begins with the story of the midwives. These two women who are simply doing their job day by day, and suddenly they are challenged by the king of Egypt to kill all the baby boys because he feels threatened by them in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And, Dwight, they face that moment where they've got to decide, do they obey the king and commit murder, or do they lay their own lives at risk to save these boys? And what an incredible story of courage. And look at the outcome. They managed to trick the king and save their own lives while saving a generation of boys from which comes Moses. So again, that same theme of God doing incredible things with a person who is willing, and the outcome of God's good in their life stretches far beyond probably those midwives could have imagined. Just as you're recounting this, I and I never kind of put this together before, and that is, here was this kind of a holocaust against against uh, uh, baby boys and yet something similar happened in as described in the new testament in the time of jesus yes with with the you know king herod wanting to do away with the the baby boys in case uh, there would be somebody who would uh, overtake him yeah dwight that's a hard theme in scripture isn't it it seems yeah. like god's people are constantly under threat in one way or another And yet, thank God, we have so many stories of God raising up a leader, sometimes unknown, as we talked about earlier, an unknown person, no power, no position, and yet he calls them right for that moment to make a difference in their time in history. You know, I was thinking about this, the the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham and slaves themselves, and yet God was trying to preserve them and gave these kind of guidelines that they uh, should be careful who they intermarry with and interact with, with the various nations around them that they came in contact with. And yet we're talking, as we are right now, about women that were not from their tribe, not from their nationality, and were not God-fearing people, and we get to Rahab. Yes, and it's a very strong reminder that God in no way has outsiders. There are no outsiders in God's kingdom. And yet at the same time, God wants us to align ourselves with people of faith. And Rahab, here we have her amongst the enemy camp, right? She is not an Israelite. And what does she do? Remarkably, this woman Rahab knows what God has done in Israel. She knows how God has moved mightily for them. And, Dwight, this might sound shocking, but she prophesies. Here we have an outside woman prophesying Mm -hmm. that God will give victory to Israel. Sure enough, she gives this message of hope and victory and faith in God to spies of Israel who seem a little bit nervous, right? (laughs) They should be the one telling her this. They, They gain strength from her witness, from her testimony of God's greatness. They bring it back to Joshua, and that report, which is only from Rahab, these spies don't do much spying at all. They get the word from Rahab, and that's the impetus for Joshua to move. Incredible story. If you've just tuned in, uh, we're talking with Dr. Marina Hoffman. She's written a book called Women in the Bible. It's really a, a small group Bible study book. We go on again to, we started with Sarah and Hagar, who are, who are linked, and now we get to Naomi and Ruth. 
Yes, and there's so much focus on Ruth, the younger woman uh-huh. who commits to her mother-in-law, and it's a fairy tale story. She wins the man who has wealth and power in the community, and it seems like it's a happily ever after story. But as you know, Dwight, I tried to focus my study much more on Naomi, yeah. because here we have a woman who has so much suffering, and so does Ruth. But there's a sense in which Naomi's suffering never really leaves. And it's a beautiful reminder how God redeems a situation. He gives Naomi another family. But that doesn't mean that the sorrow of her husband and the loss of her sons ever goes away. And we see her depressed and very heavy-hearted with her circumstance and eventually finding joy. And so I think we can ask, you know, why did God allow all this to happen? It's beautiful that she has a new son-in-law, but why did she have to lose her sons and Mm -hmm. her husband in a foreign land? And um, for me, I see the ways in which her loss pushed her to create a new future. Would she have been so bold in giving advice to Ruth to more or less throw herself at this man if she wasn't desperate and had lost everything? And and yet Ruth would not have been Ruth without her mother-in-law. And, and, yes. and her impetus. And a beautiful heart that is willing to submit to this woman who is wise. And, you know, Dwight, what kind of woman was Naomi to earn that kind of respect and love from her daughter-in-law? The Bible doesn't tell us, but what an example for us to strive through in our lives, to be that kind of woman to have such loyalty from a daughter-in-law. It's a story that never seems to get old, but still always raises lessons of, of what we can learn from, from all of this, uh, the character of God and both Ruth and, and Naomi and their situation. Hannah has become very important to you in your own personal life situation. Yes, I was in a massive car wreck. We should have died, my husband and I. Slowly, God brought us back to life, not only physically, but for me, I had a brain injury. There was a lot of obstacles I had to overcome, trauma, and such. But you know, Dwight, two years after that accident, we were well on the way to recovery. Mm -hmm. And then the doctors told me I would never have a child. Mm. And, you know, this piece of paper that they put in front of me from all the tests, it said 0.0001. And I thought, you know, that's heartbreaking. It's so upsetting. But there was also a moment of relief where I said, this is an impossible situation, which means it's an opportunity for God to do the miraculous, and I can stop striving to be perfect. And I think that relates a lot to the story of Hannah. She, too, is desperate, and we find her alone in the temple. And then the priest comes, and he doesn't understand, accuses her of being drunk, even Mm -hmm. though she's pouring out her heart to God. What a lesson for us, that when we have these moments of great pain and sorrow and unfulfilled dreams, that we can say, God, I will give you my raw emotion and be honest with you. I'll pray, and then I'll trust you. And the verse that inspires me most from Hannah is when it says, after she prayed, she got up, she went on her way, and she ate, and her face was no longer downcast. Hmm. There's no way in that moment she was pregnant, Dwight. We know that. So that means that this woman was able to trust God, and while still frustrated and desiring a child, she didn't have to stay in that place of depression. And to me, that was a just daily reminder for myself. If God does this for me, that'll be beautiful. But if he doesn't, can I still hold my head up high and trust him? Yeah, and as you point out, the priest wasn't much help, was he, <laughs> the prophet? <laughs> this... No, it reminds us of this isolation, right? Where's her husband not praying with her? And, yeah. and 
you know, the story goes on and on repeatedly about how many children his second wife has. So can you imagine <laughs> Hannah surrounded by many sons and daughters of the second wife? Yeah. Just this feeling of pain and really desperation. I'm thinking of a lesson here because sometimes in, in life we... Uh, Many of us grew up uh, going to church on a regular basis, of of relying on the on the guidance of church leaders and the congregation, and sometimes they let us down. But our faith in God must come on. Yes, and it really shows we don't want our faith rooted in someone else or in the church or a Sunday morning or even an online faith. We need it to be personal and ha- and know the scripture for ourselves for these moments when God calls us to step out in faith and to trust Him, not because of a pastor or a friend, mm-hmm. but because we're, our heart is tuned into what He's doing in our life. Esther has been of concern to many people. It was of concern to, I think, uh, when the rabbis put what we call the Old Testament together. Uh, tell us about Esther and the book of Esther. Yes, here we have an interesting perspective, because it's not a story of what happens in Israel. You know, you talk earlier about the women who are outside of Israel. They're not Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And here we have the story of Esther happening outside of Israel. So in this time of crisis, when Israel has been taken over and nearly wiped out by an enemy, the question is, is God present outside of Israel? And how do we worship God when we're in a foreign land, in exile, surrounded by hostile enemies? Mm -hmm. And Esther tells us, that God is still at work. And again, who is God using? God raises up this woman who has no authority, no position. The only thing going for her, Dwight, is her beauty. And that's great, but how many of us put beauty on our resume? (laughs) It's not too helpful. And yet God just uses that. Just her natural beauty she was born with, nothing else, no skill she developed. And God raises her to the top and gives her position and gives her authority But then she's required to be bold, isn't she? She's required to risk it all for her people and to bring salvation to and and to expose the evil plans against God's people. Dwight, I feel that this is a story that speaks to us today in our time. You know, will we be willing to be truth tellers and to take a risk to bring the message of God? The book is called Women in the Bible. It's a small group Bible study by Dr. Marina Hoffman. Where can our listeners get a copy of your book, Marina? Uh, Thank you, Dwight. Listeners can go to my website, womeninthebible.info, and they'll find a free access to our video series that corresponds with this. They're about seven minutes each. They're really personal, a lot like we're talking about today, Mm -hmm. Um, especially for the purpose of running a small group. They can just start the small group by playing the video. There's no ads. And they can pick up the book from Amazon. It's Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study by Marina Hoffman. Marina, thanks so much for being with us on LifeQuest. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for listening to LifeQuest today. If you have questions or comments, you may send them to lifequest at lifetalk.net. My name is Dwight Lanehoff. This program comes to you from studios in the Meadowglade Church, Battleground, Washington. Mm-hmm.